Let's start off. Just give God one more hand of praise and let's get right into the Word. I love preaching, but I really love preaching on Easter. So here's what happened. Thousands of years ago, there was a man and a woman in a garden we call Eden, because the Scripture calls it Eden, and they sinned, which means they fell short of what God uh, uh, can tolerate to be around. If I had uh, an example to, to lay out to you, it would be something like this. If you take a clean rag and a dirty rag and touch them together, the clean rag does not make the dirty rag clean. The dirty rag makes the clean rag dirty. That's the way of it with uh, sin. So that's why God could no longer allow Adam and Eve to dwell among uh, him in the garden is because he's perfect. So when imperfection, if imperfection would have touched a perfect God, God would no longer be perfect. So God has uh, uh, different mandates that are set in place that will stop those things from happening. One is, if imperfection starts getting close to God, you'll just die. There's a, a time in the Bible where the Ark of the Covenant, which is always representative as the presence of God, a man uh, went to steady it and stabilize the Ark. And as soon as he touched the Ark of the Covenant, he fell over dead. That's what happened to him. Because the, the idea of imperfection, getting close to perfection, can happen. So what happens is, is everybody who has sinned has to die before they can get close to God. They cannot get uh, close to God in any way, shape, or form. Because it would mess up who God is in the grand uh, scale of everything. So Adam and Eve sinned. And the interesting thing about Adam and Eve is you and I all have some of their DNA. We can all try Trace our life back to who they were in the garden. So for you and for me, we were born into sin, the Bible says. The seed of Adam, which everybody in here can trace their roots back to, the seed of Adam is tainted with sin. Therefore, there was a requirement for a replacement plan, so to speak, to take place. But a replacement plan is not the accurate word because the Bible says that the Lamb of God, Christ Jesus, was slain from the foundation of the world. You can find that in Revelation chapter number 13. So for you and for me, what took place is in the timetable that we can understand is Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, could no longer be close to God. They were excommunicated from the garden. And instantly what took place is the greatest plan that has ever existed and will ever exist was now instituted and begun on planet Earth. The plan of the salvation and the redemption of the creation, which is mankind that God longed to be in relationship with but could not be in relationship with if mankind was in error or in error or in sin. So what happens is, is God has this great plan that was done long before Adam and Eve. And here's the deal. I don't want you blaming Adam and Eve because here's the thing. If you uh, uh, had an opportunity to live a sinless life, which uh, effectively you kind of did and you already missed it too, so we can't really get mad at Adam and Eve. If Adam and Eve hadn't eaten the fruit, somebody would have eaten the fruit. Probably Cain. But either way, we've got to get to the place where we no longer look at what everybody else is doing and recognize that everything in our own life uh, is dependent on our decisions and not everybody else's. 
So Adam and Eve messed up, and if they hadn't messed up, somebody else would. So we're not here to blame Adam and Eve, but it instituted and began and put in motion the greatest plan that has ever taken place. So here's the scenario. The Lamb of God was slain from the foundation of the world. That means several different things. It means, number one, Jesus Christ is not plan B. Jesus Christ is not, oh no, Adam and Eve sinned, let me uh, uh, quickly whip up a recipe to try to get them back. No, He is the plan. He is uh, the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the resurrection. He is the life. No man comes to the Father but by Him. So Jesus Christ is the plan. And this thing was instituted or it began to roll whenever Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Therefore, could not be around God anymore. But here's the scenario. Not only does it mean that He's not plan B, it also means that before you were born, God knew what you were going to do wrong and loved you anyway. He knew you were going to blow it. He knew you were going to drop the ball. He knew you were going to mess up. But He loved you anyway. And He instituted a wonderful, miraculous plan which is foreshadowed and foretold all through the Holy Scripture, all through the Old Testament, where we get to a place where we finally run into what we call the New Testament. The Bible's broken into two major sections. We have the Old Testament, which effectively was before Christ Jesus, and then we have the New Testament, which is from the birth of Christ Jesus on to where we are now. And the birth of Christ Jesus represents the New Testament, not because it sounds good, but because the birth of Christ Jesus represents the opportunity for a new testimony. You see, before you had to be born of a certain house. You had to be born in a certain place. You had to be able to do certain things right. You had to be able to make certain sacrifices and make sure that everything was taken care of, I's dotted and T's crossed. But then Jesus comes on the scene and the entire law is fulfilled in who He is. So there is no longer an old testimony, but there is a new testimony that you can cling to, which is the blood of Jesus sets me free. The blood of a Savior. So I want to skip all the way from Adam and Eve to what we call Holy Week. Holy Week started when uh, it was right after Lazarus was raised from the dead, a day or so after that. And Jesus and His disciples are heading to Jerusalem and He's been telling them, Hey guys, we're going to Jerusalem and it's going to be real bad for me, but I don't want you to worry about it because I'm going to be raised from the dead and everything's going to be good. But He's going and He says, He goes, here's the thing. He says, I need something to ride on my way in there, which was interesting because it was fulfilling some scripture from the Old Testament. But He says, go ahead of me, boys, and you're going to find a young donkey that nobody's ever ridden on, an unbroken wild donkey or a wild, if you will. Some people got something in their mind. A wild donkey. So they go and get the donkey. They bring it back to Jesus. They take their jackets off. They put their jackets on the donkey. Jesus gets on, starts riding in. Isn't it interesting that Jesus chose what nobody else thought was usable to use? You have friends and family right now that they're not living right, they're not doing right, they're not acting right. They don't even act like God exists. They like to be, I got got people in my life, they like to be real intellectual about why they don't believe God exists. And I'm like, okay, so a large explosion caused an amoeba to be formed a bajillion years ago. That amoeba landed in some water. 50 million years after that, that amoeba crawled out of the water. 
grew legs and arms, and that's how we got here. I'll be honest with you. That takes more faith then in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I don't need anybody to explain it to me after that. I don't need anybody to explain to me past that. There is no way on this planet that you and I were born, you and I were formed, or you and I were created without an immaculate divine power that is the Lord God Almighty. He is the one and only way that we were born. So we've all got those friends and family that they like to, they like to have conversations. They really like to pin you into a certain place. You know, well, what about this part? What about that part? And I, I just go, well, what about I used to be a rascal and now I'm not? What about I used to be a heathen and now I'm not? You knew me before. How do you explain me without the blood of Jesus? Well, I tell you, you just got that. Well, I, I, I'll tell you something. I believe the blood of Jesus covers all my sins, sets me free. So he's riding in on this donkey, and the donkey's carrying Jesus, and everybody's shouting, Woo, there he is! Uh, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! And everybody's shouting, Hosanna in the highest! And they're waving palm branches and everything like that. And isn't it interesting that we don't see anywhere in the Scripture where that donkey goes, Listen at him, yelling at me. You carry Christ, and it's our job to carry Christ, but it's not our job to be Christ. You see, when you put too much pressure on yourself, you'll never be able to fulfill what He's called you to. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. If you can just lift up who Jesus is, your job is done. So he's getting carried in and uh, somebody comes up to Jesus and goes, Listen, you guys, y'all are starting a riot. And I just prophesy in the name of Jesus, there is another riot coming where the people who call on the name of the Lord are going to be so fanatical for Christ, they're not going to care what anybody says, they're not going to care what anybody thinks, we're not going to live like everybody else lives. they got just as much right to be wrong as we got to be right. And we are going to lift up the name of Jesus, we're going to stand on our values, we're going to hold on to this Bible. We're not going to let go of it. We're not going to get slow with it. We're not going to uh, get weary in well-doing. And in due season, we're going to reap. And everybody, when the great revival starts that will usher in the second coming of Christ Jesus, everybody's going to be running to a place saying, We heard about it. Can I hear about Jesus here? Which kind of Jesus are you talking about? They're going to say, The powerful Jesus that will raise my son from the dead. The powerful Jesus that will open blinded eyes. The powerful Jesus that will heal my body. We'll say, Yeah, that's the Jesus. Jesus we serve, come on in. Everything's different now. We'll get to that later. But they told Jesus, they said, listen, you better get them quiet because uh, you're, you're starting a riot here and there's going to be some people get mad. And Jesus said something very interesting. He said, if I told them to be quiet, the rocks would cry out. The rocks would? What could a rock possibly have to say? Well, it depends on what rock you ask. I would venture to say one of those five smooth stones that David carried would have a lot to say about how strong God is after he was planted in the head of a giant and defeated the Philistines by the power of God's right hand. 
I would venture to say that the broken uh, 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 fragments of the rock tablets that God Himself pinned the Ten Commandments on and Moses came down and broke them, I would venture to say that that rock would have a lot to say about how strong and mighty God is. What could a rock have to say? I would venture to say that the stones that were used to stone the adulterous woman or were going to be used to stone the adulterous woman that saw the grace of God firsthand might have something very powerful to say. So all I can tell you is if your house is not filled with the praises of God, put some rocks in your house where at least God can get some glory. He said, I can't tell these people to be quiet. If I tell these people to be quiet, the rocks would cry out. Then all of a sudden he goes and he, he's with his disciples and one of the very closest ones to him, a man named Judas, betrays him and sells him for the price of a slave. Now all this is important for several different reasons. One, it's showing the foreshadowing in the Old Testament when Joseph was sold as a slave by his brothers and Jesus' brother Judas sold him as a slave for the price of a slave. The man who walked with him for about three years, who'd seen blind eyes open and dead kids raised, the one who saw people flock to him from miles around, saw him feed thousands of people with just a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. He sold him for the price of a slave. Can I just say this? Even Jesus lost one. You have people close to you. I have people close to me that will not go where you're going. I'm not talking about eternity right now. I'm just saying, don't lose your witness and your testimony because somebody close to you loses theirs. I couldn't imagine how bad Judas had to feel after that moment. I couldn't imagine how bad he must have felt. He went and tried to return the money. Interesting thing about Judas is the Bible says that he carried the purse for the ministry. Jesus' ministry was exceedingly blessed. Exceedingly blessed. Could you imagine if somebody raised your dead child from the grave, what would you withhold from them? Nothing. Here's my house. Here's my... What can you use of mine? Is there anything you can use of mine? You'd give him everything. And they were giving him everything. One particular lady named Mary. Her brother was dead for four days and Jesus, rose him from the, Jesus raised him from the dead. And she went and took some anointing oil, very costly. And she poured it on Jesus. And she began to anoint him. And Judas spoke up. And he said, you know what? We could have taken that and given the money to the poor. And the Bible specifically points out he was not saying that because he cared for the poor. He was saying that because he stole from the purse. And he wanted to steal from that money. Jesus said to him, he said, listen, you're going to have poor people the rest of your life. You can always do good for them, and you should. She's doing this for my burial. I look at that situation, I look at that picture, and I have the thought, where am I in that picture? Am I looking at somebody else's offering and acting like they're doing something wrong for being so gracious and loving and blessing God's kingdom abundantly? 
Or am I the little girl or the young lady that says, the best I have, God, I want to give to you. You can have money, but you've got to make sure money doesn't have you. He goes into the garden. And he's shackled there. The weight of sin pressed on him and began to squeeze him where blood came out of his pores. The first Adam was shackled by sin in a garden out of disobedience. And the only begotten son was shackled by our sin in the garden because he was obedient. It came to kill him. They came to take him away. And he spoke two words. They said, are you Jesus? He said, I am. And supernatural power hit every man there and they fell to the ground. Because if they'd have killed him in the garden, he would have never been wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. And we would have never been healed by his stripes. Nor would the chastisement of our peace been laid upon him. They take him and they hold him in front of a kangaroo court and they condemn him who had never done anything wrong and if you were in that moment it would be difficult to say where you would stand where I would stand because religion had such a hold on people he said he's guilty guilty of what? he says he's the son of God and they said, we're going to put him in front of a guy named Pilate. Because we can't kill him because it's against our law. So they wanted to persecute him with the law, but they wouldn't want to kill They wanted to persecute him outside the law, but they wouldn't kill him because it was outside the law. But just like with Adam and Eve, we can't be mad at them. Because if he hadn't died, we wouldn't live. So they took him in front of Pilate. And they said, this guy says he's king. And we only have one king, Caesar. And Pilate says to him, he goes, look, I can't find any fault in this guy. I can't find anything that he's done wrong. But out of custom, I will release to you one person today. Would you like me to release Jesus? And they began to scream out, no. Release Barabbas. Barabbas was a murderer. Barabbas was a terrorist. The same thing is happening today. People in authority are screaming to give liberty to terrorists and condemn the righteous. I wasn't going to go there, but I'm going to. Iran says they want to destroy Israel. Period. That's what they say. This is not something I'm making up. This is not Fox News versus CNN. I don't care about that. But this is what their Ayatollah says, period. They want to destroy Israel, and they say they will. They call America the great Satan. And we are negotiating with them and discussing putting sanctions on Israel. This is what took place in the first Holy Week, and this is what took place in the last seven days during Holy Week 2015. Our Bible is coming to life in front of our eyes. There's no more time 
to wait to tell your loved ones about who Jesus is. There's no more time to kind of get it right. There's no more time to live an okay life. It is all in for Christ right now. We're coming to the end of this thing. Barabbas, the terrorist, was the first guilty man set free by Jesus that week. Jesus could have called legions of angels to stop it at any moment. But instead, He took the place not only for you and for me, but literally taking the place for Barabbas. Pilate says, I'm going to have him scourged. This was something the Romans would do. They would take a whip. Uh, Most of the time, history says it had nine different links on it. It would have uh, pieces of bone and metal and glass. A tide in the whip. And they say that the, that the uh, ones who would uh, be flogging the condemned were so good that they could whip them within one lash of death. So Jesus, potentially tied to a post, is taking lash after lash, stripe after stripe. The metal possibly sticking in his skin and having to be pulled out so that you could see his bones. Blood everywhere. But the crazy part of it is it was all for you. You were supposed to be there, but he chose to take your place instead. They finished scourging him. And they brought Jesus in front of the Jews again. That crown of thorns plaited and planted on his head to where his scalp was pouring blood. They wrapped him mockingly in a purple robe. And they said, here's your king. Would you like us to release him now? And they all screamed, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Pilate, the only man who could have said no, said yes. And we could all blame Pilate. But if Jesus hadn't died, we wouldn't live. And they took Jesus, who had been beaten, Within an inch of his life, they put a pile of lumber on his back and told him to carry it up a rock hill. We have the same imagery when Abraham asked his son Isaac to carry the lumber for a sacrifice up a rock hill. He carries his cross up the hill, lays it on the ground, They roll his body over, lay his hands out on the beams, and nail him to it like he is a common piece of lumber. The king of all glory, with all power and authority that he had been given by his father, laying there, allowing mankind 
who he was sent to save, to kill him with nails. They lifted him up, stood the cross up, blood dripping from every part of his body. And instead of doing what I would have done, which was call every archangel that I had access to, to come wipe the whole thing out. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Who says that? How can he be that good? How can he look at me? He knew what I was going to do before I was born. And he says, Dad, forgive them. He gives his last breath. But just before, he says, it is finished. They wanted to make sure he was dead. So they took a spear and they stuck it in his side and blood and water poured out. One of the soldiers that was there said, truly this was the Son of God. The sky went black, stones broke open, the veil in the temple was ripped from the top down, which means God grabbed it at the top and pulled it in half so that you and I could now have access to get where He is. You take His body down. There's two men mentioned in John's recollection. One named Joseph of Arimathea. One named Nicodemus. They took his body and they anointed his body with 75 pounds. 100 pound weight in the King James. 75 pounds of precious ointment. Where even in death, the fragrance of our Christ was beautiful. They wrapped him in cloth. And they took him and Joseph had talked to Pilate and said, Can I have his body and put him in my tomb? And he took his body, him and Nicodemus, and put him down. I find it very interesting that it was Joseph of Arimathea, who we don't even hear about until this part of the Scripture, and Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus came to Jesus in the dead of night when nobody else would see him and said, What do I have to do to be saved? Joseph of Arimathea, in John's recollection, it says he was a disciple of Jesus privately. Which is to say this. If you want to be used by God, you better have a relationship with Him when nobody else is looking. I don't care how dressed up you can get on Sunday. I don't care how good you can pray in front of me. What I care about is are you there in the midnight hour? When I want prayer, I don't need the loud prayer most of the time. I'm good at that. I need somebody to cry out on my behalf that I know that they know God. Joseph and Nick. They knew him when nobody else knew him. And everybody, listen to this, almost everybody that followed him in the daytime was nowhere to be found. But the ones who had that private, intimate, 
caring, loving relationship. They were there to the end. Laid his body in the tomb that nobody else had laid in. Saturday gets there, the Sabbath. All the disciples are petrified. They're in hiding. They're terrified for their life. They killed Jesus. What are they going to do to me? Peter is in unbelievable anguish because he had denied his Lord and Master, Christ Jesus, the one who he loved. There's no question he loved him. Have you ever messed up and you love God and you just missed it and you know you missed it and you're just feeling that pain and that guilt of having hurt your friend? Peter's feeling all of that. Hour by hour, death reigns. Hour by hour, a lifeless body lays in a borrowed tomb with a stone that had been rolled there and sealed to make sure that nobody stole his body and lied about him being raised from the dead. But then something very interesting happened. After every Saturday, there's a Sunday. And I don't know if it happened just like this, but it could have. Jesus' body was laying there all Saturday with weeping and wailing all around with the devil and his demons laughing for joy thinking they finally got the victory but what they don't understand is death that had a hold on mankind could not hold the Son of Man. Sometime in the early morning hour that body began to twitch and warmth began to come back into his body and into his members and he began to sit up and when he sat up the Bible says that you could find his napkin neatly rolled and set aside. He took the napkin that was on his face and he rolled it up and he set it aside. And I don't know if he did this because I don't know if Jesus has to stretch but he could have just started stretching a little bit and said, "Woo, it's hot down in hell but I'm not going back down there again and neither are my my people. I don't know if he did this, but he might have started to walk around a little bit and say, I told you, devil, you cannot hold me. My people are going to get set free. I'm coming out of that tomb. I'm coming out of this tomb in a minute. And when I do, everybody's going to know for thousands and thousands of years who I am. The Bible says in Matthew's version, I love it, Matthew 28, verse number 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and he sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. For fear of him, the keepers, the ones who were supposed to protect Jesus' dead body, were terrified because this lightning-colored angel had shown up. They became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as He said He would. Come and look at the place where they laid Him down. When Lazarus was raised, Jesus didn't touch the stone. When Jesus was raised, Jesus didn't touch the stone. 
Which is to say this. If you want to let Jesus in, you've got to make room for Him. He's not going to kick the rock out of the way that you've spent years building and putting in place so that He can have access to your dead, dying, and hurting places. But if you will, by faith, just simply move the stone, the same resurrection power that raised Lazarus from the dead in four days and raised our Christ from the dead in three will fill your body and fill your life. The words of our Bible are playing out on the news every single day. Just this past week, right there, one day before Passover begins, 147 Christians were killed in a college in Kenya. Here's how it happened. The murdering Muslim terrorists walked in with guns and said, Are you a Christian? And if the answer was yes, bang! Are you a Christian? Yes, bang! 147 times they executed them because of their faith. This is happening right now. This is not, I'm not reading out of Matthew anymore. I'm reading off the news this week. One day before Passover 2015, a story came out of a young lady who was miraculously saved from the event. And what she did is she looked over and she saw her friend lay dead. And she took blood from her friend, her friend's blood. And she smeared it all over herself. And she laid silently and still. While those killers came walking by. Ready to shoot anybody that moved. But because they saw the blood of her friend. They passed over her. No greater love does a man have that he lay his life down for another. The Bible says that there was a day called Passover that we remember when the Israelites were held captive by Egypt and death came calling and those who had the blood of the Lamb on their doorposts were passed over not because they were living right, not because they were doing right, but because the blood of the Lamb says death has already been here. My debt is paid. So I'll ask this question on Easter Sunday, the greatest day in humanity. Are you covered with the blood? Because the Bible says, and the Bible is the word of the living God, the Bible says the wages, the payment that you owe for sin is death. That's the payment. That's the price. Cannot get out of it. It has to be paid. But there's a friend, there's a lamb who paid that price for you. And if you will accept it, when death comes calling, it will pass over you, not because of who you are, but because of who He is. Close your eyes, bow your head. If you're in the building today, and you're not right with God, today's your day.